Thanks for joining us this week for the Church at Starkey Hills podcast. Be sure to visit our website at starkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Amen. Excellent job, Mike and Natalie. My goodness. They were nervous as they can be. I'm telling you, if you had never done that the first time, it's like just rattles you to the core. Y'all did an excellent job. Well, I'm going to go ahead and apologize in advance. If you see me pulling at my pants like the whole time, I've lost about 30 pounds uh, since the first of the year. And I've got on long underwear from preaching that outdoor service. And it's like an old woman losing her pantyhose, man. <laughs> Every time I move, I feel them slide. And so I, I try to make some subtle adjustments, you know, like that. And so sometimes i got to get like a woman, get way down low, work it up. I'm just telling you, man. So that's where I'm at. Hey, uh, I want you to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. And we're going to continue in our mini-series called Move Shifting Paradigms. Move Shifting Paradigms. And, and, and we talked about last week that all of us need to move. Yeah, I can say that without reservation or hesitation. Every single person in here needs to move in their spiritual journey. There's no exception. The preacher's not exempt from it. All of us need to move. In fact, what happens sometimes is we become stagnant because we adopt maybe a paradigm that's not God's paradigm for our life. And a paradigm is a a philosophy or a viewpoint or an ideology that we think the world operates under. And then how we uh, how we subscribe to it, how we operate within that paradigm or understanding. The problem is often we pick up paradigms not from the right place. We pick up, pick up our paradigms from the world, maybe some, from uh, some friends or family members. We watch how they perceive the world and how they operate within those parameters, and, and we just kind of align ourselves with that. And so what happens sometimes is we, beget, we become a little stagnant. Now, stagnant is like a a pool of water that does not have a fresh supply of water running through it. After it's become still for too long, it becomes stale or stagnant, and ultimately it picks up kind of a pungent odor. And so sometimes, even in the Christian community, even in our walk with Jesus, that's who we become. there's, There's no longer a fresh flow of living water in us. And there's no longer, uh, it's no longer moving or stirred. It just is flat and it becomes pungent. The aroma that our spiritual life puts off is no longer the aroma that rises up and pleases God. And so all of us need to shift paradigms. And it began with giving. And that's what we talked about last week. And we're talking about it again this week. Is it because it's the most important? No, it's because it's the one we like to hear the least. And it's the one that if we get it right, it sets us free in the other three. When we started the idea of move, God convicted my heart of four areas that needed to shift in me, in us, and all of us as a church corporately. And that is uh, giving, it is uh, reaching, it is engaging, and it's loving. Next week we'll talk about loving. Loving is demonstrated not by words but by deeds, so it's serving And so we'll dive into the other three over the next few weeks. But today we're going to talk about giving again. And as we do, I just want to remind us, we never want to be stagnant. So just tell the person next to you, stagnant does not look good on you. Just go ahead and tell them. And and shifting paradigms is something that it's true for organizations, businesses, individuals, and, and our whole church. And so I truly believe God has convicted my heart with this. If we will just move Just shift our paradigms, all of us one by one, as God would have each of us, then the whole church changes. The whole dimension of the church, its impact on our community and our world, it all changes just because we subtly shifted our paradigms. Now, don't get me wrong. Some of us give well, but maybe we don't love well. We don't serve well. Maybe some of us serve well and give well, but we don't engage well. Maybe we're doing okay in some areas or the other, but all of us have room to move. All of us have the opportunity to shift or move to a different place. Now, as we do that, our mantra or our banner, our, our verse of the, the day or the year is found in 1 Corinthians 9, 22. And it is this, I have become all things to all people so that by all means I might save some. What a beautiful passage. It defines who we're supposed to be as Christians. 
We're supposed to be willing to change, to morph, to, to move to a place that God wants us to be where we're no longer who we want to be but who he wants us to be. I'll say it again, 1 Corinthians 9, 22. I have become all things to all people so that by all means I might save some. Now, don't get me wrong. When Paul wrote that, he couldn't save himself when he was Saul. You, can't, you couldn't save yourself. Jesus does that. What he's talking about is when, when we become all things that God wants us to be, when we get sold out for Jesus and, and sold out to his instrument to reach the world, which is the local church, when we do that, all of a sudden, whatever it takes, man, I'll be whatever I need to be so that whatever it takes to all people, somebody will get saved. Because I want to tell you, one of our weeks is reaching, and it's about leading people to Jesus. And we'll go over that and make it simple. It, it changes everything for an individual and for a church. A church that isn't reaching people locally and around the world is not a church that is blessed by, by the true and living God. You see, when we no longer align our church, when our church no longer looks like the early church, it's out of the blessing of God. It becomes an organization and not an organism. And so we've got to become who, whatever it takes so that some will be saved. Now, if you weren't here last week, um, I would encourage you strongly to go to our website, Church, or our Facebook page and watch the video that Tanner put together. It's very helpful, kind of defines where we've come from, where we are, where we're going. At the same time, the message is on there from last week. I would encourage you to watch it. Now, not because it's, I'm so good, but because it has truth from God that will help you get caught up and get engaged with this mini-series called Move. And so in, that, in last week's uh, service, you received a bag, and maybe if you didn't receive it last week, you received it this week, and has in it several things. It, it's got a commitment card. It's got a connection card. It's got magnets. It's got a wristband. It's got a lot of cool stuff in there, but this is what we really want you to hang on to, and it's got a place for you to put your name. I told you that last week, and I told you, I was going to ask you if you brought your book. Who brought your book? Hold your book up. That's what I'm talking about. All right, now fill that thing up with some notes. Because what we're going to share is from God's Word, and it's important because it's from God's Word. You don't have to share anything I say. But if I say God's Word, you put it in there, okay, because it's real deal stuff. And so in this book, it kind of helps us track through this journey, covering the different paradigm shifts that we need to make. And at the same time, it has a lot of information in there, growth, growth curves and all that, to help, us, uh, to help us understand more about our church, more about your church, more about the church that God's church, which you get to call your own home. And so the message that we preach, I want you to understand, the messages about giving, they're not about what the church needs from you. They're messages about what God has for you. I want to say that again. We don't like it. Uh, you know, Mike, Mike in his testimony said, well, he, Joel preached on giving. He said, okay, here we go. All right. That's because he wasn't a giver. If you're not a giver, that's what you think. Okay. But something moved in him. And, and I want you to understand my heart. Okay. I'm a pastor, means I'm a shepherd of sheep. I lead a flock. And let me tell you my goal and my intention, God-given, it burns in my soul is this, for every family in our church to walk in the blessings of God. That's it. That's it. That's 100% it. And, and if I have to share hard truth or you have to hear hard truth for me to lead you as a shepherd or a pastor to a place where there's fresh, clear water and greener pastures, I'm going to put it on you. Okay, if I've got a dog, I'm not comparing you to a dog, but I'm comparing the story to a dog. If I've got a dog and I want to teach him how to do something that will benefit him, like run, not run out in the street and get hit by a car, <clears throat> and I put a shock collar around the yard, it's not because I want to shock his neck. I'm not, you know, I'm not that guy. Okay, it's so he'll learn you benefit more here than you do out there. Now, we're not putting a shock collar around the place, and when you go out, if you don't tie it, before you get to the car, maybe not a bad idea in some cases, but we're not doing that yet, okay, because y'all are doing good. But I will tell you this. My goal is to teach you where greener pastures are and cleaner, clearer, fresher water is, okay? And so this is one of those areas that God has in his word. I told you last week that there's over 2,000 verses in God's eternal, infallible, inerrant word about material possessions, more than prayer and faith combined. And so God knows if, he gets this, if we get this part right with him, it'll open up the doors, it will liberate us, and we'll experience more of what he has in store for us. And so at the end of the day, at the end of the series, you may listen, you may hear these messages and not change one thing. I want you to understand something. <laughs> That does not affect me. It does not affect my relationship with the Lord. It only affects you. And so I have to change things that God convicts my heart of, and you get to choose whether or not you change things that God convicts your heart of. 
And if we respond well, I can assure you, God will bless you and use you as a blessing over others. And he'll bless this church to become supernaturally what we never can even imagine in its impact on our lost and dying world. And so you've heard the expression, you can lead a horse to water, but what? You can't make him drink. That's my job is to lead the church to water, but I can't make anybody drink the water. But I can tell you this, the water that God has given us to drink from is amazing water. And you will be blessed when you apply it to your life and when I apply it to my life. So let me tell you a little bit about myself, about our history. Kendra and I uh, have been married for 35 years, okay, like tomorrow and we started with nothing. I had, I had a dumb car payment and a bachelor's degree. That's what, I, that's what I brought to the table. She wasn't finished with school yet. She was two years into it. And she had a little Pontiac Sunbird that her parents bought her new. That's what we brought into the relationship. And we've been married 35 years. I'll just pause right here. Kendra, can you come up here? Yeah, you can set the baby aside for a minute. So, 35 years is a long time. Every man in here just said, I hate the preacher. <laughs> I'm going to put it right here. But you come right here. So, so, this is my bride of 35 years. Yeah, happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> and she loves being on stage. You want to sing? What you want to sing? Okay, just checking. <clears throat> and so I want to tell you a little bit about our story today. <clears throat> and you, can, you don't have to stay up here. Okay. <laughs> that way if I say something wrong, I can get free to go. She don't punch me till after church. Okay. There's over 35 roses in there because I'm planning on staying married to you a few more years. <laughs> so 35 years ago, we didn't have anything. We had nothing. Okay. We had, I had, like I said, a dumb car payment. You know, you get out of school, you want a nice car, you go get a, you'll get a car. We, I paid twice as much monthly payment for my vehicle than I did rent. We lived in a one-bedroom cabin that was 100 years old, infested with spider crickets. Anybody know what spider crickets are? They're of the devil. They're little demons that you cannot kill or catch because they are lightning speed. And, and in that house, the, the door going into the master bedroom was 5'10". I'm 6'2". I ducked in and out every day. The window unit air condition was on the far end of the house. That meant it was hot in the summer and cold in the winter. It was the cabin from hell, okay? But we launched our little family from that place. We were part of a church where we had a bold pastor. Unbelievable. He impacted my life significantly. I can't even explain. One of the areas he talked about was giving. He talked about it a lot. Mike, I was like, you. here we go again, okay? But here's what we did. We committed ourselves to begin to tithe, to give 10% of our income. It was hard because we didn't have that much income, just one, and it was hard. And we started trying to do that thing, okay? And we did it for like four years, and all, all along, this church was on fire, like this one, growing and building stuff. And, and they were always asking for this sacrificial giving, this beyond, above and beyond giving, and we didn't get it, you know? But we would do it, we're, and the whole time... We're just like spinning our wheels. We're not, we're not getting any traction. And the preacher would talk about being in a blessing. And, and don't get me wrong, we were, we were okay. We were having a good time in church. We had great friends. And, and we were fine in that little cabin. But we were not, it was not changing like he said. It didn't look like what he described. And so for about four or five years, we just kind of did what the preacher and the Bible said to do. And we didn't feel it. And we saved up some money her first year teaching school. Saved up some money enough to buy a piece of property so I could build our first house. And we built our first house. And I'm telling you, after about five years, that bring your whole tithe to the storehouse and test me and see if I don't open up the windows of heaven and pour forth a blessing, it happened. And, and while the wheels were spinning and no traction was being gained, we didn't feel it. But on the heels of it, when the window came open and the blessings flowed, we realized the first few years we were in training. He was just watching to see if we were real about being diligent, trustful, and faithful. And all of a sudden, he said, okay, they're in. And he opened up the windows. 
Now, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you right now, I am 58 years old, and we've been married for 35 years, and we have had the most wonderful, blessed life of anybody I know. Kendra, is that not true? And our daughters are sitting on either side of my wife. Girls, is that not true? Have we been blessed? You can ask our friends. You can ask the churches. We've been blessed. We don't deserve it. We didn't earn it. But God blesses us when we're obedient in stewardship. And my goal for this church, for you as individual families and representatives of your family, is for you to live a blessed life because God wants to bless. Now, I want you to understand something. When I talk about uh, blessings, sometimes people say, well, it's all about money. And it's all about that. No, it's not about money. It, it's not about money. I want you to understand something. The financial blessing is the bottom rung on the blessing ladder. That's good. Don't get me wrong. Having money is better than having no money. If somebody tells you otherwise, they lie. Okay? Having some money is better than having no money, but it's the bottom of the blessing ladder. The blessings of the ladder are more abundant. The health, the love, the joy, the peace, the happiness. It's so much greater than the finances, but the finances are, in fact, part of it. Now, during that first season, before, we, before the blessings opened up, uh, our, our cars started wearing out. And she had a Pontiac Sunbird that it started clattering and, ch and chinging and chanking. We anointed it with oil about, about a quarter week. And, 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 and the engine fell out. I don't, I, I, it's all I can do to change a tire. I am not a mechanic. I've got a friend over here who's a mechanic, runs a, runs a shop right there. And, and they do that. I, I'm not that guy, okay? I take a hammer. I'll bang on it, okay? But change the motor in that car. That, it, that's where we were. That's where we were, and God moved it. And I want you to know, wherever you are today, God wants to move yours too. He may not do it overnight, but he will do it because he says we can test him in this thing and see. So we just want people to be blessed. So how do we get changed paradigms when it comes to giving? How do we shift that or move that or adjust that or tweak that, whatever you want to call it? How do we do it? We have to go back to the foundations and ask one profound but simple question. Are you ready? Here's the question. Whose is it anyway? Whose is it anyway? You see, because we're kind of confused, we've bought the lie that what we have is ours. What you have is yours is not yours. We have to, we have to repackage that. We have to understand and un unpack that. Whose is it? Anyway, ask the person next to you, whose do you think it is? We're going to look at Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to fly through 1 and part of 2. Here's what happens. Genesis 1, it says, In the beginning God created heavens and the earth. Now the earth was without shape and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the watery deep. But the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the water. Verse 3, God said. Verse 4, God saw. Verse 4, God separated. Verse 5, God called. Verse 6, God said. Verse 7, God made. Verse 8, God called. Verse 9, God said. Verse 10, God called. God called. God saw. Verse 11, God said. Verse 12, God saw. Verse 14, God said. Verse 16, God made. God made. Verse 17, God placed. Verse 18, God saw. Verse 20, God said. Verse 21, God created. Verse 22, God blessed. Verse 24, God said. Verse 25, God made. God saw. Verse 26, God said. Verse 27, God created. God created. God created. Verse 28, God blessed. Verse 29, God said. Verse 31, God saw. And it was very good. Chapter 1 can be summed up in this. God spoke everything out of nothing at all, and it's all his. Okay? Had he not spoke it? it would not exist. If someone else or something else tried to speak it, it would not exist. God said it. God saw it. He liked it. It's his. Now watch what happens. How do we know it's his? And how do we respond? What's our relationship with what he said and what he saw and what he blessed and what he did? Chapter 2. Keep reading in the foundation book. Genesis 2 verse 1. God finished the work. Verse 3. God blessed. Verse 15. God took. Here's where you come in. Here's where I come in. Watch this. Verse 15 and 16, God took the man and he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. 
Now watch this. Verse 16, now God commanded, you may freely eat from every tree of the orchard, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will surely die. Continuing with God's activity, verse 18, God said. Verse 19, God formed and God brought. Verse 21, God caused. And verse 22, God made. Sometimes we just forget whose is it anyway. God spoke it. God saw it. God blessed it. God finished it. It is all God's. Nowhere in the creation account did he give it to you. Or did he give it to Adam? Listen, the, the connection between God and me, God and you, and the possessions of this world, the material uh, existence of this world, is that he said, man, I want you to take care of it. We're stewards. It's stewardship and not ownership. And we got it all wrong. The world thinks we own stuff. We walk around. We got a little safe that we paid $75 for at Home Depot. It's made out of uh, fire retardant plastic. And in that thing, we got the title to our vehicle, to our motorcycle, to our boat. And if we're fortunate enough and blessed, we got our title deed to our home. Why? So we let the world know and ourselves, this is mine. I own it. <laughs> no, you don't. In fact, if I ask you who owns your house, you say, I own my house. No, you don't. Most of you, the bank owns your house. They just let you rent it from them for about 30 years, and then they call it yours, okay? So we don't own it. Whose is it anyway? It's God's. Tell the person next to you it's all God's anyway. So why don't we just admit that? So he, cre he reached into nothing, and he pulled everything out, and it exists. Why? Are you ready? Two reasons. Two reasons. To reveal his glory and to bless his image bearer. That's sweet. To reveal his glory. In other words, to point to the greatness of who he is, that he can look at nothingness and make everythingness with a word. That's one. Two, to bless his image bearer. The trees, the cats, the clouds, they're not image bearers. The angels, the, whatever you put on the list, they are not image bearers. You and I are. Our image bears. He breathed life into the dust, creating mankind in their image, the Father, Son, and Spirit. You are the image bearer of God. Now, we get that all <clears throat> messed up sometimes, and our image doesn't look a whole lot, whole real gaudy, okay, because we get it all distorted. But the bottom truth is this. You were created as an image bearer of God, and he created it to reveal his glory and to bless you. How do we walk in the blessing of what God created for his own personal glory? It's found in that verse, stewardship. When we stop looking at our possessions as God's, and we're simply managers, stewards of it, when we start taking ownership of it, grabbing on to it, white-knuckling it, all of a sudden... We're no longer walking in the blessing of what God created for us. Now watch this. So here's what happened. God created the splendor and the perfection of the Garden of Eden, a beautiful orchard, producing every plant and every fruit and every vegetable that the world knows, at least in its, in its simplest form. The DNA structure of all mankind was found in Adam and Eve. The DNA of all veg vegetation life was found in that garden that would transfer to the world. And all that we know is vegetables and fruits and produce today. And in that garden, God said, listen, I put you right in the middle of my blessing garden. And you can, you're free to eat of all of the fruit. All of the, the orchard is yours for the blessing. Just be good stewards of it. Cultivate it. Maximize what it, how it performs. Work and serve and just take care of it. And you will be blessed. But there's also... A tree of loneliness over here. I'll call it the Google tree. The tree of knowledge and information. You can go to that tree and Google anything you want to. You're going to get a new idea about me. And you're going to get a new idea, a new paradigm about how you're supposed to live in this world that I've created. Or you can stay in the orchard and benefit from the blessings of the orchard. And I contend today, church, that even in the Christian community, even us today as Jesus followers... We've walked away from the orchard of blessing 
and we're over here hugging. We've all become tree huggers. We're hugging the lonely tree where blessings no longer abound. Oh, but we've got this vast knowledge and information. We've developed this new idea of what God wants for our life. Meanwhile, God is inviting us back to the orchard, back to the forest of blessing. And it's a beautiful thing. Now, God owns it all. And he begins with a very simple rule. He says, I just want you to take care of what I give you and stay away from the Google tree where the lies exist. Got a beautiful little granddaughter named Juliana. Juliana's two. She's amazing. She's talking a lot, and her words are so fun because they're not right. And it's encouraging to me because much of mine is not right either. Okay? But one of the things that she likes is chichen. Some people call it chicken, but it's really the chich filet. Okay? And so she'll say, Papa, I have, can I have some chichen? And we'll get her some chichen, man. We'll go to the Chick-fil-A where the holy bird hangs out. And we'll get some chichen for her. And we play this game. We'll look at her and say, Juliana, I think that's my chichen. No, Papa, this is my chichen. I say, no, I think that's my chichen. No, my chichen. So sometimes I, I have to get a little straight with her. So listen here. If I wouldn't have bought that chichen, you wouldn't have no chichen. That's my chichen. I paid with my money. And so if I want, I'll take that chichen. I just want to set her straight. Now, you believe I do that? No, that's a lie. Punch me in the face if you ever hear me say that to my granddaughter, okay? No, no. I, I, I'll give her that chicken, and she's still hungry. I'll circle around again and get her another six-pack of chicken, okay? Because I love her, and I love her to enjoy what I have provided for her. God does us that way. We, we treat God that way. This is not yours, God. This is my chicken. This is my stuff. Now, God doesn't punch us in the throat, Okay, slap us around and say, you know, what are you thinking? Okay, he allows us to run with it and play with it like it's our very own. But meanwhile, the whole time, had God not given it to us, we wouldn't have any of the chichen. Okay, and so she, she teaches us, the little children, they teach us how things can and should be. Now, maybe you're not convinced in chapter 1 and chapter 2, the book of origins, that it's all God's anyway. You hadn't answered the question, whose is it? Okay, not convinced. I can only go to Scripture, so I'm going to go to Scripture, and I'm going to show you some other things that will help you lock down on who owns everything. Psalm chapter 24, verse 1, it says, The earth is the Lord's, and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Did you get that? Everything. You can look that up in the Hebrew, and it means everything. Okay? It's what it means. Everything is the Lord's, and all that is in it, and all who live on his world. So, you're not convinced. Psalm 89, verse 11. The heavens belong to you, God, as does the earth. You made the world and all it contains. Revelation 4, verse 11. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power since you created all things. And because of your will, they existed and were created. So what we do, whose is it? You, you, you can't argue that whose is it anyway? It's God's, not ours. Tell the person next to you, it's not really mine. Now tell them the rest of the story. I kind of been pretending it was. You know, because we're pretending. A bunch of fakers, okay? Now, what we do sometimes, we say, well, I know it's God's, but, you know, I mean, I've done some things to accumulate what I got. I went to school for like 28 years so I could be, you know, an oral surgeon and you're still in school for 28 years, seems like, okay? Or maybe I've just got out of school and I'm going to be a physical therapist. I might have threw somebody under the bus just now, not mentioning any names, Grant Disney. And so maybe, maybe we've accumulated, man. We've, I've done it. I have a work ethic, man, that is, is par excellente. I mean, it's, it's, there's none to compare. I got a work ethic. I perform. I get things done. So I achieve. Look what No, 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 no. Your ability to even go to school, it's his. Your ability to accumulate wealth, it's his. Your ability to perform well and have a great work ethic and have a physical body that allows you to work, it's his too. So even that is his. You say, well, that, I don't know if that's all true or not. Scripture. Let's go back to Scripture. Deuteronomy 8.18 says, you must remember the Lord your God, for he is the one who gives the ability to obtain wealth. If you do this, he will confirm his covenant that he made by oath to your ancestors, even as he has to this day. 
1 Corinthians 4, 7 kind of dives a little deeper, kind of grabs hold of it, punches us with it. It says, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, why do you boast as though you didn't receive it? It's a gift. Everything you had, you had to get from somewhere. And God says, everything you had, no matter where you got it, I owned it too. It's all his. So what God's doing since the Garden of Eden, he says, here's what I've designed to reveal my glory to you. And you're part of it. You have my image. And this is my provision for you. I love you this much. I'm going to give you all of this. But I want you simply to take care of it, cultivate it, you know, just prune it, just maximize its produce. That's what I want you to do. That's why you're on the earth, just to steward my stuff. And if you do that, I'll bless you. If you don't, if you go to the Google tree, you'll be under the curse and out of the blessing. Okay? Now, watch what happens. This is what it looks like. I own a triplex. That's three apartments all connected together in La Follette, Tennessee. I have nothing against La Follette, Tennessee. I do not advise rental property in La Follette, Tennessee. The rental market in La Follette, La Follette, Tennessee, in my opinion, is awful. And so when I got this thing, I thought everybody wants to live in a nice place. Lie number one. I gave them a nice place. They paid me a little bit of rent, tore it all to pieces, and stopped paying rent. I got them, finally got them all kicked out, filled, cleaned it up again. More people came in, started paying the rent, stopped paying the rent, destroyed them again. I realized some people... They don't want a nice place. They want a dump. And so I started praying that God would burn it down because I had insurance. I'm not making this up. I labored over it in prayer to burn, not while they were in there, you know, but after they were out. And, and I'm kidding. It sat with nobody in it for three years. Kendra was going nuts. Are you still paying for that triplex? Yeah. Won't you put somebody in? Because nobody that wants to pay wants to live there. I'd rather pay for it myself, you know. And so all of a sudden, God put somebody in my life. His name is it's, it's Jamie and Crystal Suttles. I'll tell you what it is. If you've got rental property in La Follette, call them. They'll handle it for you. I put them, they, God put them in my life. And, and they started managing this triplex. And now if somebody's in there and they're not paying the rent, they'll get in their grill. I don't have to be that guy. I'm not that guy. Okay? He'll get, they'll get in their grill and say, you've got to get out. They'll take it to court. You've gone. Okay, they'll go in there and fix it. Somebody calls, they don't call me. Hey, the toilet stopped up, they don't call me. They call Jamie and Crystal. No matter what happens, they keep that place occupied. Listen, and every month, they bring me rent. <laughs> it's a blessing for me. I no longer want it to burn down, okay? <laughs> oh, by the way, when I prayed that, it was obvious that was not the will of God. You know, we talked about prayer being in line with the will of God. That wasn't it. I was just kind of hoping it was at the time. But he trumped it. Instead of burning it down, he filled it up with people. Now, here's the point. If I had... Uh, in fact, I kind of wish I had a hundred more just like it in La Follette. And if I did, Jamie and Crystal would look after that property. Why? Because they're good stewards with what is not theirs. You see, they know that that triplex is not theirs. But they know if they just take care of it, I'm going to give them money every month to look after it. And I'm telling you the truth. If I had a hundred just like it, they'd been such good stewards with that one triplex, I would trust them with the others. You see, the Bible says that if we're faithful in the small things, he'll make us the ruler over much. So he provides us stuff. He flows it into us. And sometimes we just curl up our knuckles, man, and we hang on and we hoard it to the end. Meanwhile, God's saying, well, as long as you got your hands folded, I'll have to take my resources and flow them towards somebody else because you can't hold anymore because your hands are locked up. All right? And so, so we need to learn to be good stewards, which is why God even put us on this planet to start with. So here's the question. If we agree that it's all God's anyway, if you believe it's all God's anyway, say, I do. If you didn't really understand that before, say, I didn't. Yeah, that's honest. <laughs> yeah, we didn't. We demonstrate we didn't understand it by the way we handle our finances. And there's probably nobody in here who would be willing to say, here is my, here is my checkbook, my wallet, and my bank account statement for the last six months. You just look and see, inspect it, and I'm clean before God. No, we, so we, why? We can't do that because we don't get it. So here's the question. We answered, we answered the most important paramount question, whose is it anyway? So once we get that, how do we move from our old paradigm of understanding that it was all ours to a new place in our journey with Jesus that says it's all his 
And now I'm going to show that I get it. How do we get there? Okay? I'm going to give you some tools that are on the back of your worship guide. You can fill them in or you can put them in your journal. <clears throat> I like for you to put them in the journal. That way you keep them with you instead of losing that bulletin under your seat before next Sunday. Five keys <clears throat> to godly stewardship. I'm going to start with five keys to godly stewardship. I didn't write this. I didn't create this. Kendra had an uncle. He was a good man. His name was Jerry Disney. Jerry Disney was blessed by God with the ability to accumulate wealth. The scripture said God grants that. That's where it comes from. And he honored God with his wealth. In fact, if you go to Grace Christian Academy, it says Disney Family Sports Complex because <laughs> he built it. Okay? He gave a lot of money, funneled a lot of money, channeled a lot of money through that school. But about five or six Christmases ago, their whole family was at our house on Christmas Eve. And somebody joked, as they always would, about Jerry. They said, yeah, you need to talk to Jerry. He's got all the money. And Jerry said he was fighting cancer. And Jerry said, let me tell you something about money. He said, don't do what I did. Don't accumulate a whole bunch and get old and sick and not get to enjoy it. He said, I'm going to tell you five things, five principles about your money. And when somebody has money, starts talking about that, I kind of listen. Now, if somebody ain't got no money and they got all the answers about handle some money, they can tell somebody else, okay? But he... He had, and he was a giver. He gave a lot of money. This is what he said. He said, first thing, you have to make some money. So you have to. You have to work. In fact, men, the Bible says if you don't provide for your family, you're worse than an infidel. That's a bad one. Okay? So he said you have to make some money. He said, secondly, you're going to have to spend some money because it takes money to survive. Make some money. You've got to spend some money. But along the way, you, you want to set some aside. You want to save some money. And so you're making money, spending money, saving some money. But you also need to give some money. And if you do those four things, make some, spend some, save some, give some, you ready? He says, you'll always have some. Isn't that sweet? I'm, I'm, that's profoundly simple and, and unbelievably accurate. Okay? It's that simple. Now, Jerry passed away not long after that. Well, I wrote that down and chiseled it in my heart, and it's real and it's true. So how do you shift the paradigm in your life regarding giving? It starts with something that simple. What else can we do? Okay, I also want to give you, I want to give you, uh, I think there's eight, two, four, six, eight, yeah. Eight keys to developing a generous heart. Eight keys to develop a generous heart. You see, the problem is not our bank account. The problem is not our resources. The problem is certainly not God. The problem is a heart condition. We have to develop a generous heart. How do we do that? Here they are first. Submit. Submit. Submit everything to God and realize it's all his anyway. Just give it to him. You don't have to like take everything you own and dump it in the offering plate or whatever. But you need to, your heart needs to submit to God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. Submit it to God. Number two, we need to study the Word of God, to see what it says about our resources to you. You don't have to listen to the preacher. You don't have to listen to Dave Ramsey. <laughs> I was talking with a young man the other day, just this week, and he said, yeah, we're doing the financial piece, you know, the Dave Ramsey stuff. And I said, are you living, operating out of envelopes? He said, no, we're kind of Dave-ish. <laughs> okay, so you don't have to be Dave-ish, Dave Ramsey-ish. You, you, know, you don't have to live out, on an, out of an envelope, but, but you need to study the word for yourself and see what he says. You can listen to Dave. You can listen to the preacher. But get in the word. He'll speak to you about your resources. Number three, you simply need to open your eyes and see how God has already blessed you. We all live blessed lives. We hear people from time to time complain about one thing or another in their life, in their journey, in this world, in this country, the United States of America. The absolute truth is this. We all live a blessed life and if you don't get that, contact our missions team. Sign up for a trip around the world. You can go to Honduras, Philippines. You can go to Brazil. You can go to Africa. You go there, and you realize how blessed we are materially, materially, and you realize how blessed they are in their nothingness because they have something that we don't have, and that is, I'm sorry, we have something they don't have. You ready for it? Greed. They don't have that. And so they're blessed in their nothingness. And so look around and see what God has blessed you with. Next, set aside resources for giving. 
You want to develop a generous heart? Set it aside. The Bible says bring the first of the harvest to the storehouse. The first 10%. What we do, what we do, what we do. We spend 15% on a car payment, 22% on a house payment. We spend, uh, we spend uh, 25% going to Uncle Sam uh, or Uncle Joe or whoever's over there now. Okay, and we, sit, we send uh, you know, 8% to our utilities and we spend, uh, we spend about 20% on, our, uh, on what we eat. And next thing we know, we don't, we don't have 10%, okay, because we've, it's gone, okay? We need to set it aside, Assign it to where it needs to go. Next, we need to systematically give. Let me tell you what that means. It means develop in your heart a system of giving that works for your resource flow. In other words, if you get paid once a month, then give once a month. If you get paid every week, give once a week. If you get paid a little bit and then you get a bonus quarterly, Pay a little bit each week and then pay quarterly when you get your bonus. Maybe you're at a place where, man, you want to give, but it seems like the devil has blinded you on Sunday. Man, I forgot it again. The conversation, the testimony that Mike and Natalie gave, Mike asked her, he said, you, you know, did, you, did you bring tithe? Yeah, I got it. It has to be systematic. In our church, we have a systematic way to give online. You can simply go online in the warmth of your own home and give online. I don't do that. One, because I'd mess it up, I'd probably, you know, make a deduction from the church account. I, 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 techn technology is not my strong suit. Two, I like feeling the give. I like writing a check. It reminds me, God, you've been so good. You're only, you're only asking for 10%. I'm giving you 10%. I'm happy. But I'm blessed in the 90%. I like feeling the give. But it needs to be systematic. Next, it needs to be spontaneous. You see, there's times a generous heart needs to respond spontaneously. So maybe you just heard of a family that has lost something. Maybe they've lost everything. I'm reminded of Ernie and Nancy Robbins. Their house went up in flames. They're, they're in their 80s. Everything they owned burned in about a, an hour, lost everything. And so people spontaneously, hey, how can we help? Here's a check for $500 for clothes until your insurance comes in, you know, whatever. Maybe we roll down on the street corner and something convicts and compels our heart to help the guy holding a sign that says veteran needing money. And normally we don't recommend giving money. We recommend giving things because it, somebody gets hurt usually. But in that moment, man, God just speaks as you need to give this guy some money. I was talking to Bob this weekend. And when he tells you that, that's a spontaneous gift. You say, here, man, I'm going to give you this 20. I just want you to know God gave me this 20 because it's all his. What you do with it is between you and the Lord. And your hands are clean. That's spontaneous giving. Sometimes the move campaign, God will spur you spontaneously about what to give. And you're like, I don't, I, don't, I don't know if I can give that. It, if he tells you, then he's going to provide the resources to give. Next, simplify your finances for generosity freedom. Simplify your finances for generosity freedom. Here's what that means. All of us probably have things that come out of our bank account every month. It ju they just get paid regardless. We've got one, I think. Uh, no, maybe I pay that by check or get online. Um, our Verizon, I'm a Comcast account. What a joke. We got like 150 channels of absolute nothing. They, I pay them monthly so I can do this with the clicker. What, what is this? It's like my gym membership, okay? What, what, there's nothing. And we have, we're people of faith. So every day, we haven't watched TV and since we've been doing the whole fasting thing. And so, I mean, television, television. And so I walk in faith when we did, and I would look for something good, and it does not exist. And you know what? But every month I send them money. we got to simplify that stuff. You know, you know what another one is we do? We go out and eat. We go out and eat and spend so much money on food at the restaurants, okay? And I'm a, I'm a giver, so, I mean, if I have a good waiter or waitress, I'm going to show them the love. I'll give them a dollar, right? Church crowd, worst tippers in the bunch. Waiters and waitresses hate Sundays, you know what I'm saying? No, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll give them 20 25%. I mean, if they're terrible, I'll give them something like a dime just to let them know I remembered it. I mean, but we give a lot of money. And so we just unaware, 
Meanwhile, if we just simplify it, there are resources that God would have us give. And then lastly is this. Start somewhere or start a new thing. Here's what I mean by that. There's people in here, no doubt, never given anything to the church significantly. Certainly never dived into 10% of your income to the church. Doesn't bother me one ounce. It's bothering you. It's, you're, you're robbing God of a blessing, according to Malachi 3. You're a robber and a thief. How's that? Thought I'd jab you with That's a zinger. Thought I'd throw that one on you. Okay? But here's the thing. Here's the thing. One way to develop a generous heart is just to start something. Start somewhere, wherever you are. Just start testing God in this thing. The second thing, maybe you are a giver. Start a new thing. You realize if you're a giver, you can look. It's easy for you to perceive and to see and acknowledge the blessings of God in your life. So maybe you just need to dive deeper. Maybe God wants you to start a new thing, a new experience in your generosity journey. Now, I want to show you, and we're finished. We're finished. I want to show you 10 different types of givers in the Word of God. 10 different types. And there's more, but this is just a list. The first is a rewarded giver. In Luke chapter 6, verse 38, it says, God will give you good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over, poured into your lap. By the measure you use, it will be the measure you will receive. It's a rewarded giver, a harvest giver. 2 Corinthians 9, 6. The person who sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and the person who sows generously will reap generously. Those are big words, hard to, hard to say. I say it like this. Sow cheap, reap cheap. Sow a heap, reap a heap. Now you can say, well, that's silly. Take it up with God. That's what that verse just said right there. That's what it says. But in Tennessee slang, sow cheap, reap cheap, sow a heap, reap a heap. That's what it says. Okay? That's not Greek. That's Tennessean. That's a harvest giver. And then you've got a committed giver. A committed giver is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, the next verse, the first part. It says, each one of you should give as he has decided in his heart. I've been guilty of this. God stir my heart and say, you should give this much. And I'd be excited, yeah. But before it's over, the devil come in and he would steal that from me. And I wouldn't be obedient and I robbed myself and others of a blessing. So whatever you commit to in your heart, give that way. The next is a cheerful giver. The second part of verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 9 says, Not reluctantly you give or under compulsion, but because God loves a cheerful giver. I love that verse because in the Greek, the word cheerful is, you ready? Hilarion. You know what word we got for hilarion? Hilarious. When's the last time you saw the offering plate go through it? <laughs> I just want to give my time. I've never seen it in my whole life. <laughs> now, I'm a cheerful giver in my heart, but it's, it means to be a hilarious giver. One, it's just overflowing with joy because of the opportunity to give. Because the, the, the true giver, the one that gets it, realizes I'm giving that. It's just funny how much I still, he still allows me to keep. The next one is a mindful giver, a mindful full giver. 2 Corinthians 9, 9. This is just as it is written. He is scattered widely. He's given to the poor and his righteousness remains forever. A mindful giver is the one who understands we're to bring our first 10% to the storehouse. I have people who say, yeah, I don't give to the church, but I'm helping this person over here, or I'm paying for this over here. I'm doing this work with a parachurch ministry, sending people in the mission field. 10 score, man. That's awesome. But the Bible says the first 10% comes into the storehouse. And so be mindful. The mindful giver is willing to give, but he does it well. The next is a grace giver. We talked about people who didn't want to be under the Old Testament. I don't want to give 10%. I ain't giving 10%. That's Old Testament. Malachi's Old Testament prophet. I ain't doing it. Fine. You can be a grace giver. You move to the New Testament. A grace giver is found in Acts chapter 2, verse 45. You ready? This may be you. You hadn't given because you didn't want to tithe. It's Old Testament. This is you. It says, and they began selling their property and possessions and distributing the proceeds to everyone as anyone had need. That's grace giving. Start selling the stuff you have so you can give to someone else. Next is a sacrificial giver. Luke chapter 2. I'm sorry. Luke chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. This is the story of the widow who put the mite in the offering plate. And Jesus saw it. These people come by, you know, and they said, 
put them off for now, you know. Jingle, 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 hip, going in, okay. And there's a little widow shows up, and she put her mites in. And Jesus said, more blessed is she because of the sacrifice. You see, sometimes people say, well, so-and-so gave this, so I should give this. It's not a matter of equal gifts. It's a matter of equal sacrifice. Whatever that is, whatever that looks like, that sacrifice. The next is an extravagant giver. Found in Mark chapter 14, verse 3. This is when the lady comes into Jesus and she has this extremely expensive jar of fragrance. And she just opens it up and lavish, just pours it out on Jesus. That is an extravagant giver that just can't give enough, just feels compelled to give and give and give. The next one is a greedy giver. Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 10, one of the, one of, one of the most scariest passages in the New Testament. So church is growing. Everything's moving forward. They take up an offering. Ananias and Sapphira, husband and wife, they show up and they've just sold a piece of property and Ananias comes in first and he gives and, and so they realize the word gets out that they didn't give all they said they gave. And so they come to Ananias and they said, did you give all the proceeds from your property? And Ananias said, oh yeah, yeah we gave it all. And they lied to the church and to the Holy Spirit. That day, the Bible says that day, they took him outside, he, he died. Then the wife comes in, Sapphira, and they said, uh, did you give all of the proceeds from the property? Oh, oh yeah, we gave it all. That day she died. Now I'm not telling you, if you, if you don't pay your tithes, you're going to die and we're going to drag you out in the middle of the 904 dry gap pipe because that's what they did, they just drug them outside. Okay, we're not going to do that. Okay, and I'm not saying God's going to do that. I'm saying he could because it's all his. And sometimes we just need to be transparent. Stop lying to God. You can lie to me. I don't care. It doesn't bother me. But we just need to be transparent and honest with God. And then lastly is a reluctant giver. That's the Malachi 3.8. Reluctant giver. Can a person rob God? You are indeed robbing me. But you say, how are we robbing you? And God says, in tithes and contributions. Martin Luther said this. He said, a religion that gives nothing Cost nothing, suffers nothing, is worth nothing. Adrian Rogers said, always be sure to give, God, to give God what's right and not just what's left. And so I just showed you 10 types of givers. Rewarded, harvest, committed, cheerful, mindful, gracious, sacrificial, extravagant, greedy, and reluctant. And built on the premise that it's all God's anyway. The question is, which one are you? That's a heavy question, isn't it? And so right now I would just like for you to bow your heads and close your eyes and speak to the God who owns it all Speak to the God who chose to come here on this earth and give himself away on your behalf. And just whisper in your heart, God, which one am I? Father, we thank you that you never hold back on some level of blessing. We're all, we all experience the general blessing, the air we breathe, the beat of our heart, the love that's found in and around this world. God, we experience some blessing, but we thank you that you don't penalize us and remove it all. God, we know <clears throat> that your nature is love and your nature is to bless that which you love. And God, based on our account of our beginnings in Genesis that you've given us, we realize that it's all yours. And we have wrongfully decided maybe it was ours. So help us just let go and trust you with it all because it, it is all yours anyway. We thank you. Help us hear from you where and who we are 
regarding our resources. Help us be good stewards. Help us move from the Google tree to the blessing orchard. In Jesus' name, amen. Now I need to finish with, with a couple of thoughts. In your book or in your bag, you received this commitment card. And I told you I want you to stick it up on the refrigerator. So <clears throat> when you go in there and rob a snack or something to drink, it'll just remind you, I need to pray about God, what God wants me to do. <clears throat> and I'm not asking you to do anything that I haven't already done. In fact, what I'm getting ready to share, I would not normally share, but the, the man who's helping us with our whole paradigm shift move campaign told me I had to share my commitment with the church. I'm in. I'm in. So what does that look like? We did these cards as a leadership at a meeting a few months back, and we prayed about what God would have us give. We made a commitment to make a commitment, and that's all we're asking you to do is to make a, make a commitment to make a commitment, and then wait for God to tell you what that commitment is. So we did that. We made a commitment to make a commitment. And then God just whispered to me and Kendra an amount. And it was bigger than we would have ever written down. Basically, it's over four times what we give annually as a tithe. God said, what you give as a tithe annually, keep giving that, and multiply that times a little over four, and give this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, who's he, who are you talking to? And Kendra said, how are we going to do that? I said, I don't know. That was just a couple months ago, about three months ago. I don't know. That's what he said over a two-year period. So we're like, we'll give him two years to figure this thing out. <laughs> okay? So we took our card and we wrote that number down there. With, and we were, it was hilarious. That was probably a hilarious gift because we're like, this ain't, how's this even going to happen? And we signed our names to it. We turned it in. Gave it to Tim. And we trusted him because that's what he said to do. It was a significant sacrificial gift. Probably the biggest gift we've ever given in it, Kendra. Yeah. By probably a good amount. And we're trusting we were going to give him so much a month for the next two years. I stand before you today to let you know he's already given it in full. And on March 21st, we're going to walk over into our new building and we're going to give our cards and our commitments and we're going to place them on the altar of God's new facility for reaching people. And Kendra and I are going to be delighted to lead the way and place that full amount on the altar. I'm telling you, you don't have to give anything. You don't have to change anything. You don't have to modify or move or shift your paradigm. It does not affect me or this church. Because it's not about what this church or God needs from you. It's about what God has for you. And when he tells you what he wants to do through you, you can trust him. Because he's a big God and he works in mysterious ways. I want to pray one more time. We're going to sing, and then we're going to dismiss with announcements. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being so good. Thank you for loving us as much on our worst day as you do on our best, because you are love. Not just by word, but in deed. Coming to this earth and living a perfect life only to qualify you for a perfect sacrificial death in our place. Rising again on the third day, demonstrating not just how to live and die, but how to live forever in resurrection life. And God, all along the way, you demonstrate more of your love by sending your Holy Spirit to encourage and to guide us and to walk with us and to help us. And God, we thank you that you've chosen to reveal your glory through the material existence of this world. And I pray that myself, our staff, our church will begin to be stewards at a whole different level. That we'll trust you more. 
and you'll pour your blessings out more not just the finances we pray that there'll be an outpouring of people coming to Jesus for salvation that there'll be people willing to say I need to be baptized because it needs to be on the right side of my salvation that little boys and girls will be developed in their Christian journey and they'll come to Jesus for salvation God and that we get to extend ourselves throughout the community the state and around the world through our missions efforts and that you would just pour yourself out I know that you wait to do great things and you wait on us to be found faithful and obedient. I pray it in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. I want you to stand up. We're going to sing a closing song and then announcements and dismiss. God bless. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.